technicolor version of this is Moses's adoption. His mother didn't give him up willingly. She gave him up because she was forced to give him up as an oppressed person living under a brutal regime. But she did the very best she could to give him a future. So he was entrusted to the basket and to the water. So I see God in all of that. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao, and this is a conversation inspired by Bishop Wright's Four Faith Weekly Devotion sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe in the episode's description. What's up, Bishop? Good morning, (laughs) Melissa. Uh, You named this week's devotion Entrusted, and you based it off Psalm 22, verse 10, which goes... I've been entrusted to you ever since I was born. You are my God when I was still in my mother's womb. And you've spoken about being adopted before, but in my opinion, not nearly as vulnerable as this. So I'm wondering if you want to share a little bit more, expound about your experience being adopted and how it pertains to this verse. Yeah. You know, um, a thousand years ago, I was a school chaplain in New York and, uh, I remember talking about Moses as an adopted person, uh, you know, and me being the storyteller as an adopted person. And I witnessed something that, that I had never really sort of seen previous. I witnessed that, that kids um, who were adopted uh, uh, were really embracing that as a positive thing. Um, and then I really just saw again the the power of the biblical story to reframe ideas, right? And uh, I realized growing up, you know, in the way that I did, adoption wasn't necessarily a positive thing, right? Um, it was a second tier way to be a a, a son or a daughter, um, and of course, it wasn't intended to be that way, but but that's the way it, it sort of was talked about in common parlance. And so I started as an adopted person, um, realizing that there are many adopted people in the Bible and just talking about it in that way. And of course, there are a number of Bible verses that, uh, like the one in Psalm 22, other parts of the Psalms, other parts of the, of the, uh, of the stories that reframe this notion of adoption. In other words, um, though we may have been passed from human hand to human hand, we were always uh, in God's mind and God's heart and in God's uh, sort of vision for the future. So that one of one of my favorite ones is that if your mother or father forsakes you, the Lord will take you up. And so there's this constancy with God, uh, even in the flux of sort of human life. So even though you chose to focus on verse 10 of the psalm, Verse one goes, <laughs> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. And so in other words, why have you abandoned me? Right. And I'm interested in how entrusted and abandoned are different and like how you might perceive those two, because you do a really great job in the devotion. Well, that's the whole point of the, uh, of the devotion is to begin to talk about it from the standpoint of being entrusted. Yes, abandonment, feelings of abandonment are real. Yes, I get that. I I know people, I've talked to people 
who've had very sharp feelings of abandonment, rejection, all these things, and have sort of made a life of trying to work around those things, engineer life around those things or through those things. But I just thought that the biblical uh, narrative, Psalm 22 in particular, gave us another way to think about uh, our adoption, um, and that is to be entrusted. Uh, yeah, it, 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 there is this sort of uh, dance between abandonment and entrusted. I mean, um, I talk about Esther, I talk about Moses, I talk about even Jesus, um, uh, who, who probably lived at that intersection of uh, one day feeling abandoned uh, and one day feeling entrusted. And I, I think that is true not only for adopted people. Yeah. So I guess what I want to invite people to think about is, is that we have, in fact, been entrusted. And as, and as I go and make the case, you know, uh, sort of the most vivid technicolor version of this is Moses's adoption. His mother didn't give him up willingly. She gave him up because she was forced to give him up as an oppressed person living under a brutal regime. But she did the very best she could to give him a future, right? And so, so he was entrusted to the basket and to the water uh, and even to Pharaoh's household so that he could have a, a life that she could not provide for him under certain circumstances. So I see God in all of that, God's activity, God's agency in all of that. Bishop, can you say more about uh, all of us being adopted? Because I have to say, that's one of the themes of the Bible that I haven't really fully been able to embrace because I don't understand that concept really well in a way that I think you, you probably do. Well, <clears throat> I don't know if I understand it more than you do. I just have more practice thinking about it. That's about it. Um, you know, St. Paul used that, that language a lot. We talk about adoption, uh, you know, uh, through baptism. So what we're, we're, we're really taking, talking about is being, being chosen, being taken up by God, our parent, uh, and, and, uh, and giving an inheritance and giving a future and giving life. Um, and so not unlike a physical adoption, not unlike my own adoption, I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in a foundling home. That's what they used to call it, a foundling home. How about that? And, um, you know, it was a place where nice Catholic girls uh, went to have babies before they went back home and resumed their, their lives. And so it is very much that idea of uh, uh, Paul, St. Paul's using this idea of uh, hitting a dead end in one kind of life, but finding a new way forward in another kind of life. And so um, my biological mother uh, could not provide for me for various reasons, could not provide for me uh, any more life than she did, which was my physical life. Right. But the adoption, my my adopted parents and Catholic charities and the county of Allegheny, Pittsburgh, um, provided for me another kind of life. And so that is true for us in the spirit. That is true for us in God. We have been adopted by God. Our lives have been decorated by grace and forgiveness and belonging and future, right? And spiritual power and gifts and capacity. So, so we have been endowed, right? By virtue of our baptism. And so in, in the way that Charlene and Earl adopted me and endowed me 
with life and story and music and culture and resilience and grit and a smart mouth, right? All these <laughs> things I learned at their at their sort of at their knee. And so we are adopted, all of us in one manner or, or the other. Uh, but some of us in particular, I know, uh, are struggling. And that's the other reason why I wanted to write this piece is because I'm trying to care for some people who are at various stages of healing around the notion of being adopted. Taking you back to my time when I was a chaplain, a lot of parents got really, really smart, lovely, beautiful, uh, intelligent people got really tongue-tied when it came to talking to their youngster about being adopted. And so what happens is, is that in the absence of conversation and framing and narrative, that gets framed in other ways, perhaps less constructive, generative, and graceful. And so my approach is for us to talk about it in the way that we talk about it, in the way that God talks about it, which is, in a manner of speaking, you are always with God, and God is always with you, Psalm 139. Where can you go where God is not? And to sort of drill down on that, I think, is to find a way forward which is graceful, because otherwise you're always abandoned, you're always victim, you're always rejected, right? You're always less than, you're always not quite. Well, I'm I'm wrestling with the word entrusted, and yeah. I, I, I'm actually because I see it both ways. Like, is God entrusting us to our human parents, or are our human parents entrusting us to God? Yes. <laughs> That was at both and you get, well, I mean, it so often is both and with God, isn't it? Yeah. It so often is right. I mean, it's, it's very rarely, I mean, you know, that's the thing about God. That's why, you know, that's why it says, you know, the human, human ears have not heard, neither has any tongue confessed the greatness, the glory of God. You know, when you're talking about God and the way God works and God's complexity, you often run out of words. That's why people break into song and poetry so often, right? Uh, because we get overcome by the way that God chooses to be God. And so God is complex. I mean, there's the Trinity for you. There's the Holy Spirit for you. And so, so the, the answer so often is yes, <laughs> right? Yes. And, and hopefully we'll figure all this out by and by, as they say. But for right now, what we realize is that God's graciousness has no limit. It is far-reaching. And God can work God's way through um, teenage pregnancies, through uh, unplanned pregnancies, uh, through uh, the disorientation and confusion of a, of a young parent, uh, through the prejudice of that young pre pregnant woman's uh, family. God can still find a way. This is, this is what we say. This is why the cross for us is our symbol. The cross for us is a symbol saying that whatever the world throws at us, somehow God can make a way. And Jesus didn't tell us about it. He lived it. All right, friends, we'll be right back after a short break. This is Four People producer Easton Davis thanking you for listening to Four People. Four People is a space of digital evangelism dedicated to sharing the good news and leadership of Jesus Christ. Who do you know that needs to hear today's episode? 
Who do you want to hear it? Subscribe to four people and keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. And now back to four people. Welcome back to four people. So Bishop, before break, we were talking about adoption. We were talking about entrusting, and I can't help but wonder about the topic right now, since it's such a, a, it's always been a topic, right? But abortion is very much um, a controversial thing. And I'm curious about the ways uh, that many people will unpack that and use their faith to justify or substantiate their view on it. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about this as it pertains to adoption or entrusting. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll try uh, to offer an answer from a personal perspective. So, so my, uh, my birth mother um, sat at that intersection of adoption or abortion, so she told me, and, and realized for her, because of her deep Catholic faith, that abortion was not an option. And so um, I am here uh, having made it past that intersection <laughs> and a woman chose uh, adoption uh, over, over abortion. I guess what I want to say is um, I, I recognize that that is a very difficult decision, a very hard decision. Um, and how I come to it is, is that I wish that there were fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer abortions in the world. Um, but God gives us a choice. And so I think that uh, I end up on the choice side of the conversation. But I end up at the choice side, not sort of cavalierly, uh, because we are talking about human life. And, and, and I'm not, uh, I don't get, I don't get uh, cute with the science. It is a human being, period. Um, and so I do think it is a woman's right to choose. I do support that. But <clears throat> I wish we could find a way to have a conversation about the gravity of all of that um, and not just the tennis match of the issue. Um, and so, you know, again, I am here because someone sat at that intersection, thought it through, um, whose life probably could have been a lot simpler um, had she had a procedure. Um, I mean, think about it this way, you know, uh, 57 years later, I walked, uh, into this woman's, uh, life again. Talk about a complexity of emotions, but, uh, but I, I have to thank her for all the ups and downs of, of, of life and so on, um, and emotions that she made a choice for life. And in so doing, I have life and in so doing, I have five children who have life. Um, so yeah, I, I'm choice, but I wish we would choose life. Uh, so ab abortions uh, infrequently, abortions very, very rare. Um, on another note, Bishop, I've noticed this over the course of a few conversations with you that you seem to personalize scripture in a deeply intimate way. And I'm wondering if you have a practice that helps you do that, or if you're just wired that way. Well, 
I think one of, uh, one of the great gifts I got from being raised in an African-American household, right, is a particular way to handle scripture, right? Uh, people on the bottom, I was raised by a maid and a, and a, and a janitor and a part-time chauffeur. Um, but poor people all over the world are looking for, in scripture and in Jesus, a real friend in the real world. They're not looking for an intellectual exercise, right? So I was raised up with that, even before I even knew what I was being taught, I was raised up with that interpretive framework, which is what earthly good is faith? What earthly good is Jesus, right? And so <clears throat> this is not just African-Americans. This is, this is just, this is poor people everywhere. This is, this is true for, you know, white rural Georgia, right? People are not looking for intellectual exercises here, right? Not that intellect is bad. It's just that we're looking for some kind of hell, some kind of heaven in the midst of hell. And so, so yeah, it's easy for me to look at scripture and think about the, you know, the pain of a woman who's been bleeding for 38 years, right? Or, or, um, a soldier <clears throat> whose little girl is sick and the doctor has no answers. Um, or, you know, the garrison demoniac who is self-harming and who's suffering, it looks like, from something like we would call now uh, bipolar. And to realize those people in that book are people that I know today and that Jesus met them there. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, if, in fact, what I've had to do is I've gone on and been uh, educated at seminary is hold on to that interpretive lens. Because I think what we want to do sometimes in seminaries and in formal trainings is that we want to sort of uh, uh, over-intellectualize these things. And the preachers that I know who are really effective, and that is by effective, I mean connecting with people, right? And giving them the resource of scripture to make it you know, in their real life. Those are the people who are able to understand the intellectual framework, but don't, don't forget the human element. And the human element is this. Everybody says that they're fine and they're all lying. We're all hurting. We're all hurting. The rich one is hurting and the poor one is hurting. The gay one is hurting. The straight one is hurting. We're all hurting. And the gospel has a particular kind of medicine for all of us. And Jesus, as the old folks say, Jesus is a great doctor. So, so that's what you hear when you hear me talking about it. And so I just thought that in this particular meditation, I'd say a little bit about the medicine that I'm not just prescribing, but that I'm using. So Bishop, from what I know of your story, I understand that in discovering your biological mother, that you were able to come across things that you may not have known about yourself. Um, and I'm wondering if you can maybe expand on that a little bit. Oh, yeah, it, it was exciting. There was a lot of, first of all, I have to give credit to my wife. My wife is the really sort of born researcher. She's the one that sort of did all the work on the internet and found actually my biological mother and found all the sort of ethnic information about me. But, you know, for people who wonder what's wrong with me, you know, I'm African, German, and Irish. That's what we found out, you know. So, so at least now you know. You say, what's, what is wrong with that dude, right? I've, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm you know, and of, of African, I'm majority Nigerian. And of Irish, my family is from County Mayo, right? 
And uh, on the German side, we're Pennsylvania Deutsch. So on my mother's side, we have been in this country since 1730. Right. So, so uh, I think that's hilarious, uh, you know, <laughs> as, a, as an African-American or at least uh, as labeled one in America to have, to have those sort of bona fides uh, as an American to be here, you know, prior to uh, 1776 is hilarious, but hard work and stock, uh, you know, on, on every side, you know, decent folks uh, went to Pittsburgh, found their way to Pittsburgh to work in the steel industry, right? Um, and, and so on and so forth. But I guess what I wanna say about that is, is that, um, you know, my heritage, uh, such that it is, is a reminder that we really are all related, right? And, and what we're finding as this, as this sort of DNA science and research uh, continues to deepen and grow is that we're being reminded again and again and again that we are all related. We are all related. We have one common ancestor. We are, as the Bible said, of one blood, right? And so I, I think that finding these kinds of things out, all of us, each of us, uh, it's going to make this increasingly, it's going to make it increasingly more difficult to other people. I mean, you, you never, you never want to underestimate our ability to other people, but I think it's going to get increasingly more difficult when I realize, when you realize that we are, in fact, right, siblings, and that all of these exclusive cul-de-sacs we've made in the world really are false. They're really false. And what is really true is I am yours and you are mine. And I think that the, one of the, you know, when we talk about adoption, so what's on the positive side of that ledger? There's a lot that's positive on the other side of that ledger. And, and one is you get this notion that you are, in fact, part of a large family. And so I can say that that is one of the great gifts of, of knowing that I was adopted, which is that you have this sense of connectivity uh, writ large, you know, broadly spoken of. And, uh, and so, you know, I would like to think that I approach the world um, understanding that uh, I just have relatives I haven't met yet. Thank you to listening to Four People. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week.